you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. The message today is entitled, Jesus and the End Times. And I feel like we're in a very interesting season of history where you think of all the things that are going on here just in our own country, but folks, there are things happening on a global scale. And I think they should cause us to wake up a little bit because Jesus indicated some things that would be general signs of the times where we're approaching the end, where he will return and he will come back. I don't know if you are aware of this or not, but Jesus is going to return. He's going to be coming back. And he flat out says this himself. He declares this. He's returning, and we look forward to that. And as he's doing his ministry here in Matthew 24, we record something here that's sometimes called the Olivet Discourse. He's on the Mount of Olives, and he's sharing about the end and his return and some general signs of, of what the end's going to be looking like and the great tribulation and all of those things. And we're going to try to read through this entire chapter and cover the, the variety of things that are taking place here. And you can also read this in Mark chapter 13 and also Luke 21. And I'll do my best to break this down, but there's a seriousness to this message today. And sometimes people think through this and they, it's almost like we're delaying this. We're, we're pushing it off. Well, I know he's going to return, but I mean, not in my lifetime. Folks, pay attention. His return is near. His return is near. And we're going to break this down today. Before we begin, let's pray together and then we'll get right into the scriptures. So bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together, focused time right onto your words here. And I pray your spirit would guide us and lead us as we walk through this. We want to hear from you, and we want to ready our hearts for how you desire us to respond. So Lord, have your way with this time. Minister, guide, speak, lead us, Lord. We invite you to come. Bless the children's ministry as they're meeting right now. Bless their time in the Word. And we thank you for this, Lord. We lift it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's get right into verse 1 here of Matthew 24. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Well, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the age? And Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. 
Nation will go to war against nation, the kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, even if possible, God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go and look. Or if they say, look, he's hiding here, don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. And just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with glory and or power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. And in the same way, when you see all these things, you can know that His return is very near, right at your door. And I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away or pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. 
However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. And people didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the meal. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. And understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. And you also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when you least expect it. A faithful, sensible servant is one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. And I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. But what if the servant is evil and he thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying, and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm kind of getting worked up as I'm reading this. I'm, I need some water here. I don't know about you, but that particular passage just grabs your attention, does it not? And that's what Jesus is trying to explain is what's going to happen. Thank you. When the end is near. And this comes from a conversation he's having with the disciples as they're walking through Jerusalem and they see these buildings these temple buildings, and they ask, when will this be destroyed? That's their first question. And they're really asking about three questions here. And later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. And when they ask him those questions, that's when will this happen? They're asking, when will the temple be destroyed? And what sign will signal your return? And then the end of the world. So that's the question that's been posed to Jesus, and then he begins to respond. And folks, one of the first things he says, he begins to explain a crescendo of things that are going to happen. Now in music, a crescendo at the bottom of your music page, it's like you're starting soft, and then you get louder and louder and louder and louder, okay? And in verses 4 through 14... I think Jesus is explaining a crescendo that's taking place. General signs that you'll see around the world when you know that the end is nearing. Jesus references birth pains. Any mothers out there, if you've given birth, you know that it sort of picks up steam, if you will. There's more and more pain. And he listed some signs. He, he referenced them as birth pains. You know that the baby is about to be born. And so just as Jesus references these as birth pains, there's something about to happen 
when these general signs begin to take place. He talks about deception. Wow. Look around. Our world is filled with all kinds of deception. I don't know about you guys, but anymore, I'm like, who can I believe or who can I trust when it comes to information? Does anybody else feel that way? Okay? I know who I can believe and trust when it comes to the Scriptures, but when it comes to the information around us in our culture, in our world today, it is full of deception. Full of deception. And it says wars and famines and earthquakes, Christians that are being arrested and persecuted and even killed. That kind of stuff's happening all over the world. Christians will be hated. It says they'll even start hating one another. And sin will run rampant. And I just think of the words, woe to you. Woe to you who believe that evil is good and good is evil. That deception and that sin running rampant, you see that around. Love growing cold. And here's a good one. The Gospels being preached throughout the world. There are more and more unreached people groups that the Gospel is going to. More and more nations where the Gospel is being proclaimed. And you think about technology and how the broad spread technology and the message of Jesus Christ coming through technology all over the world. Missionaries going to places that have never been reached before. These kinds of things are taking place and they're getting louder and louder. We're living, I think, in the crescendo. That's my conviction. But I think the world around us, you can read that passage and go, whoa, I'm seeing this kind of stuff today. Jesus then begins to break down a period that's called the Great Tribulation. And that's in verses 15 through 28. And the first major sign that signals this period that's called the Great Tribulation is something that's called the abomination that causes desolation. Jesus refers to this in verse 15. And he recalls the prophetic words of Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. And the abomination of desolation is where the Antichrist will set up an image in the temple to be worshipped. And this great tribulation will be a specific period of horrible suffering and distress. And to be more specific, the great tribulation is something that's going to be worldwide. And it will be the worst time of suffering and distress that's ever occurred in the history of humanity. It will be a terrible time of persecution, especially for the Jewish people. And the period will be so awful that if it were to go beyond the set three and a half years, no one would survive. That is what Jesus himself said. The period will be under the control of the Antichrist. The Bible also calls the Antichrist the man of lawlessness. And this period will be filled with all kinds of demonic activity. 
There'll be great deception, just as Jesus talked about deception increasing. Well, the great tribulation, it's going to be even more. And there's even another worker of evil known as the false prophet, deceiving. And tension will be building, especially around the nation of Israel and specifically around the city of Jerusalem. And there'll be a gathering of a great army around Jerusalem, and it's setting the stage for when Jesus returns. Now, I know there's a variety of views on what's called the rapture. And the rapture is, for those who are in Christ, you literally are lifted up or seized or taken away And then some people will debate and kind of go back and forth. Does the rapture happen before the Great Tribulation? Or after the first three and a half years of peace of a seven-year tribulation? Or will the rapture occur right at the end when we're all gathered together to then head to Jerusalem for this final battle? Whatever your view might be, Jesus says as lightning flashes in the east, and shines to the west, so it's going to be when the Son of Man returns. You just think how fast that is. And if there's anybody that's thinking that, well, when I hear that trumpet, then I'm going to get my life right with the Lord. Folks, you see how quick lightning flashes across the sky. And what's interesting, he says, just as the gathering of vultures shows that there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. And he's about to then talk about his return. And he does that in verses 29 through 31. What I do know is that Jesus' literal return back to this earth is at the end of what's called the Great Tribulation. No matter what your view is on the rapture, Jesus is coming back to this earth. And we read about this. He says, immediately after the anguish of those days, referring to the great tribulation, immediately after the anguish of the great tribulation, he says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. We're referring from Isaiah chapter 13 when it talks about the return of Christ right there with that particular setting in the sky. He says, at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. Right? And he'll send out angels with a mighty blast of trumpets, or the trumpet, and he'll gather his chosen from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. In Zechariah chapter 14, it talks about the return of Jesus. What's interesting is he's giving this end time discussion on the Mount of Olives, the very location that he's going to be returning to when he comes back. This place exists. It's there. There's a little Google image of it for you. But Zechariah says, watch for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions, they're going to be plundered right in front of you. And I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. And the city will be taken, the houses will be looted, and the women, unfortunately, are going to be raped. That's pure evil going on throughout Jerusalem. 
It says half the population will be taken into captivity and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. It says then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fought in times past. And it says in verse 4, And on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives that's east of Jerusalem. So you talk about that distress and that surrounding of the of of Israel, specifically in Jerusalem. And it says that the Lord my God will come and all His holy ones with Him. We're going to join Him at that location. And in Revelation 19, it talks about a rider on a white horse. And He shows up to this distressing situation. And it's absolutely powerful what takes place. John says, I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. And its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe that was dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. So who are we talking about right now? We're talking about Jesus. And it says that the armies of heaven that are dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod, and he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings, and Lord of all lords. And he's showing up to this battle that's called Armageddon. And the reason why it's called Armageddon is because it's taking place in what is known today as the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Megiddo. And that's where this battle is going to take place. The Bible talks about this in Revelation 16. It says that the demonic spirits have gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon or the Valley of Megiddo. And Jesus shows up, the rider on the white horse. And in verse 17 it says, I saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures that are flying high in the sky, come, gather together for the great banquet that God has prepared. Now, if you're back into Matthew 24, when he transitions out of the Great Tribulation, he ends, he ends the period of the Great Tribulation with the signs of vultures who are there for the carcasses. And then you see in Revelation 19 that as Jesus returns and the battle of Armageddon is about to take place, when the battle's about to happen... It says, we saw an angel standing in the sun shouting to the vultures on high, come and get ready because you're about to feast on the enemy of God. Verse 19, I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist and false prophet and kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one who's sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. There's the abomination of desolation that triggers that three-and-a-half-year period of the Great Tribulation. 
And both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the refiery lake of burning sulfur, and their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one who was riding on the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. We're there. We're with Jesus, but Jesus does all the work. He wins the battle, and then he begins to set up his kingdom. As Jesus is explaining these things to his disciples, there are things about this that are incredibly applicable for us today. And one of the questions we might have is, so when exactly is this going to happen? We want to know the timing. We want to know like the exact day so we can be ready, right? Give me the time, the appointment, and I'll be there. Well, Jesus helps them understand a few things about the timing. He says, look at the fig tree. You see, these leaves are starting to bud and sprout, and then you'll know that summer is near. Again, if you start seeing these signs taking place, you know that it's near. He says it's right at the door, in fact, in verse 33. One of the things he says is this generation will not pass. And sometimes that causes people to get tripped up because you're thinking he's speaking about the generation that is with him. And if that's the case, they've come and gone and he didn't show up. And therefore, he was a liar. So, but what does this generation mean? There's a couple different interpretations of that. This generation could mean the generation that starts to see the crescendo. That could be our generation right here. We could be this generation. Some also see this generation referring to the Jewish race. But what Jesus says in verse 36, he says, No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. But we know that it's drawing near. And so therefore, a question that I think needs to be asked to all of us is, are we ready? And Jesus addresses some of that in verses 37 through 51. I don't know what your views are regarding Noah. I believe it was a real man who had a very real word from the Lord to build an ark. And it never rained. And he's building an ark. And people were making fun of him, mocking his word from the Lord, mocking his views and his warnings. It says they were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered that boat. And when God shut that door, there were people that were left behind. They had made their decisions. They weren't ready and Jesus says, just like the days of Noah, when that took place, it'll be the same way when I return. There'll be people that aren't ready. But his instructions are, you be ready. People didn't realize what was going to happen until it had come. And to be frank, there are people that we know that don't know this is going to happen. They'll be just shocked. And it'll be too late. Jesus talks about people being left behind. Two men working together. One taken, the other left. You know, grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken. 
one left. And then he says, keep watch and be ready. And your memory verse from last week, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. He ends with a parable. Again, the focus being, are you ready? He says, when the master leaves, one servant begins to party, kind of do their own thing, treating people terribly, all that kind of stuff. They're just not ready for when he returns. And I think a message like this, we just need to ask ourselves, okay, Lord, the seriousness of your return, your desire for us to watch and be ready, how do you want us to respond in light of this message today? Whether I'm saved, I have Jesus Christ in my life, or I'm not saved, I've not received him yet, and the forgiveness of my sin. And I think Jesus unpacks that with three more parables in Matthew 25. Now that's your reading for tomorrow. I'm just going to summarize a few things here. But I think there are some responses, and three in particular. The first one is an inward response. And he shares a parable about ten bridesmaids, five who had oil in their lamp and five who did not, and oil representing the presence of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying, there's five people who had the Spirit in their life because they received Jesus Christ, and there's five people who did not have the Holy Spirit. And when the bridegroom came through, the five who did not have oil in their lamp were begging others, give me some of your oil so that I can be a part of what is about to happen. And it was too late. You cannot ride the coattails of somebody else who has salvation in their life. You have to choose. Do you want Jesus? Is there oil in your lamp? Are you ready for when that day comes? Personally, are you ready? If you are, if you're saved, if you're redeemed and you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, the next two responses from the parables is an upward and an outward. He talks about the parable of the talents. These servants were given resources by the Master and they were to do things with these resources until He returned. God has given us all resources. What are we doing until He returns with those resources? We recognize that that comes from Him. It's not my stuff. It's His stuff. And He wants people to know about Him before He returns. So what am I doing with what He's given me? And then the last piece when we realize that all these resources of what He's given us, we look outward to the people around us. And there's a separation of, of sheep and goats, and, and there's all these people that Jesus lists and the kind of situations they're, they're in, whether they're, they're naked or hungry or they're in prison or they're sick, just a variety of situations. And there's a group of people that are the sheep. They took care of those kinds of people. The least of these. They went after them and they ministered to them. And those over here who were goats, they did not respond to the people who are in need. And I think our response to the seriousness of the fact that the end is coming. Jesus says it's right at the door. If you start seeing these signs and it's getting louder, and folks, I believe it's getting loud. It's at the door. What are we doing? Is my heart ready? And am I realizing what God has given me and leveraging it in His kingdom to see more and more people come to know the grace of Jesus Christ? 
Shame on me if I take the gift and the grace of salvation and just take that for myself and go on with life without concern of where other people are at in their standing with God. I need to have a concern and a care for people and where they're at. Are they ready? That means I've got to be willing to have some conversations and step out in faith. Here's just a simple question. Which do you think you'll regret more? The fact that you didn't share and they missed out? Or the fact that you shared and there's some kind of rejection that takes place? We all need to evaluate these things. I just see what's going on in the world around us, guys. And we get to Matthew 24 in our reading, and it's like, we need to be ready. We need to respond. And I pray that a message like this, it doesn't go in one ear and out the other, but this takes root in our lives, and we go out of this place, and we're already at work this afternoon in his kingdom. What's really neat about all of this, guys, Jesus wins. He's our victor. He is great. He's powerful. And when things are going to get tough and get difficult, He comes to save. He's going to set up His kingdom, and we want to be a part of that. If you want to be a part of His kingdom then, you need to be a part of His kingdom now. And I'm going to lead us here in a response of prayer. And while I'm praying, I do want to invite the worship team to just take their place as we get ready to respond in worship together. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. You speak to us. You instruct us. You try to get us ready Just as you were speaking to your disciples, you're speaking to us today, desiring for us to be involved in your kingdom. And some people who are listening right now, as you're looking inward, you're going, Jesus is missing, and I need him. I need him in my life. And if that's you... And today, there's something about what was said that the Holy Spirit has your attention and He's drawing you in to get your life right and ready. I want to lead you in this prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just simply pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, today I surrender. I am a sinner and I need a Savior and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Please, Cleanse me. Make me new. And I thank you for this gift of redemption that comes from the blood that you shed on the cross, the life that you gave to redeem me. Thank you for this gift of salvation that I receive today by grace through faith. And Lord, for all of us, as we respond to your words today, may we be people who are watching 
and we're ready and we're actively engaged in the kingdom and seeing more and more people come to know the grace of you. Help us to be involved in this and not sit passively by. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would prompt us, lead us, guide us, use us. We lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.